The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another edition of Into the Net FC, the soccer talk discussion segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. I am the host, the Bear of Texas, reporting live from an undisclosed location in beautiful DFW, deep in the heart of Texas. It's my honor to welcome back my good friend and mentor in beautiful and sunny Southern California. Let, ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Mr. Steve Adams. Well, greetings from the home of the new World Series champs. The Los Angeles Dodgers made an awful lot of people in my neighborhood happy. There were fireworks and everything going off. Uh, people spinning donuts in the streets over off of like uh, Van Nuys uh, and Beverly Glen. So, uh, anyway, yeah, a whole bunch of happy Los Angelinos, and I can honestly say at my work, where a lot of the gals where I work are big-time ball fans, there is a very, very, for for a hump day, there was definitely a little more energy in the office, but um, got a lot to talk about as far as, like, the other type of ball, the more round ball, uh, a lot going on with the EPL, and then day two. Yeah, but before we get to that, I should let you know, y'all know that a... Max Muncy, who plays for the Dodgers, went to the same high school I went to. And yes, I actually did personally know the guy. He was a senior when I was a freshman, but I did know him. I had talked to him a couple of times. Max, if you're by any chance to listen to this, congratulations, buddy. Go Dodgers. And another thing, since I hate the Astros, you know what? Because I have a friend who's a huge, huge Astros fan who's actually proud of what his team did. You know what? At least I can find, you know, he can finally shut the hell up about bragging. He can stop bragging about his freaking team winning the World Series. So thank you, Dodgers, and congratulations. And they get the final word. Amen to that. Yes, it's, you know, talking about this Premier League, you know, for, based on last week, the, we, you and I did not get the results that we had hoped for. I mean, I don't know if I should say we hoped for or what we predicted. Well, it's not what we anticipated. I, Absolutely I, I, not. I, I, I certainly didn't think that Everton was going to get ambushed down on the South Coast by Southampton. Uh, Southampton plays just a great first half. Uh, you know, score a couple of quick goals. They keep their form defensively. And, uh, you know, it was really, really a good win for Southampton. And they did all the people that are chasing Everton uh, did them a favor by giving Everton their first loss of the year. Uh James Ward-Prowse and uh, Che Adams score the goals for Southampton. Uh, Everton picks up their second consecutive red card in a week. Uh, Lucas Digne got a 
straight red uh, with a really, really nasty challenge on Kyle Walker-Peters. And the thing that was kind of funny after the game, Carlo Ancelotti, the Everton manager, he was going on that, oh, well, I think everybody had their eyes. They were waiting to give us a red card because of the fouls that happened in the Liverpool game. And it, all I have to tell you that if you're listening to this, go to YouTube, pull up the replay of the foul, and see what you think. It was a nasty foul. So second game in a row, uh, Everton had to finish with 10 men on the field. Yeah, it's very bad. You know, Luca Dean, you know, a compatriot of mine, French compatriot, yeah. He, ever since he arrived, you know, at Everton, he's really been making an impact. You know, he's definitely having a better life than he did uh, during his days at Barcelona, but it was pretty shocking to me. You know, Everton, you know, is on, on top of the league. They still are, by the way, and then they suffer a, a very surprising loss to Southampton. It's like, the way you, you described it, Steve, they were ambushed. I mean, that's the best way to describe it. They were ambushed, and they just could not recover, and Southampton took advantage. And the rest is history. But, uh, but yeah, clearly that was one did not see going to plan. Uh, the other one that I definitely did not see is I did not see Leeds going into Birmingham and getting a 3-0 win over Aston Villa. That was one that I had not totally anticipated either. And Patrick Bamford with, the, uh, hat, with a hat trick. A hat trick that was about 20 minutes apart. <laughs> Was it a fluke? Leeds, you know, they they showed some of that attacking brilliance that uh, gave Liverpool just absolute fits in the in the first game of the season. And uh, this is a fun team to watch. Uh, they're young and they're playing some really good ball. Uh, so definitely, definitely a little little bit of a surprise there. You know, check out you know here's an either even more surprise you know. Everton and Liverpool at the top. Aston Villa third. Leicester City at fourth. Le- Leeds United up to sixth. Southampton at seventh. All above, you know, all under them is Chelsea, Arsenal, Man City. I- okay, I-, I finally have to ask again. Is it just is it me, Steve, or has this season just been freaking mysterious? It's topsy turvy. Uh, in all fairness, though, I should point out that uh, Villa sitting in the number three spot at twelve points. They do have a game in hand. They they do have a game that they need to pick up. So, depending on on the results of that, but uh, but certainly, I had I had no way thought that Aston Villa would be in the top three six game five six games into into the new season. Leeds newly promoted. Uh, not only are they sitting at sixth place, but they're also doing it with some serious style points as well. Leeds United is proving a point, Steve, and the, and the point is, we do not want to go anywhere. We want to stay at England's top flight. We want to stay in the Premier League, and they're proving it. Like they're not playing around. They want to be here, and as long as they keep playing right, they're gonna they're gonna earn their spot to be here. And I can honestly say, we better get used to Leeds United because with all that power, all that momentum, they're not going anywhere, not anytime soon, at least. And uh, you know, there's definitely. A little bit of an uprising among you know some of the other lesser fancied clubs. Uh, Liverpool hosting Sheffield United. This was one that you know Sheffield had been looking very pedestrian in their first five matches. They played their best match of the year at Anfield. They gave Liverpool all kinds of fits. Uh, they got a they got an early penalty um, 
it's kind of a questionable foul on Fabinho. Number one, if it was a foul in the first place, and number two, was it actually in the area? And it did go to VAR, and VIR said that it was a penalty. Uh, Sheffield United cashes it in, and uh, it's a really, really good thing that Allison Becker was in gold uh, on the weekend in, instead of uh, Adrian, the backup. They needed a top-flight goaltender. Sheffield United had some very, very good chances on that. And Becker really needed to be on his A game to, to stop that. Uh, Liverpool was able to come back. Uh, Bobby Firmino scores a goal off a rebound off of a Mane shot. And then uh, later on, uh, Diogo Joto, the Portuguese player who's making himself quite at home at Anfield, scores a really nice header off of Mane Cross. So Liverpool does get all three points, but they really had to work for it. And all credit to Sheffield United. They played, they really played a very, very good game. Like I said, I, I felt it was by far and away their best effort of the year. I agree. In, in, this, in one of these losses, Steve, it's what I like to call a losing effort. But, um, you know, I think it's something that they could build off of. But at a certain point, uh, six, six games into the season, Sheffield United only has one point, And they're minus six on goal differential. So they, they need to start picking up some points uh, pretty soon. They do because, you know, they're just like Leeds United. They want to stay in the Premier League. They don't want to be regulated back to the... Uh... Back to the minor leagues. You know, it's probably just, it's probably not right for me to say, but a lot of people say the lower leagues is kind of like the minor leagues, right? Well, I mean, you've got all these multiple tiers of soccer, and it's just so competitive. Uh, and you you try to get into the Premier League because that's where the big money's at. That's where you have that huge television money, and the the difference in playing in the lower level and playing in the Premier League, it is worth millions and millions of pounds for these clubs. So, uh, so yeah, that's why it's it's so doggy dog uh, to try to avoid those uh, 18th, 19th, and 20th place spots so that you can avoid the drop. I mean, Manchester United uh, is actually str- is fighting hard to avoid that. But before we get to Man U, let's talk about West Ham and Man City. Well, there's another one we certainly uh, got wrong big time. <laughs> Did not see this one finishing as a draw, to be sure. Although Antonio's overhead volley uh, for West Ham was an absolute thing of beauty. It was probably, it. I think it was the goal of the weekend in the, in the EPL. It was just an amazing goal. Uh, Man City gets their one goal from Ben Foden. But, uh, but Man City lost points again and uh they're sitting down right now at 13th place i mean it's just been you know as as you described steve topsy-turvy and now we get to manchester united and chelsea well you did i think you predicted a tie but i predicted chelsea winning three to one well i was expect i was predicting a high scoring draw that's yeah. what i and given that both sides have had so many headaches and problems at defense uh, Frank Lampard was just absolutely livid. Uh, he thought that uh, Harry Maguire basically had uh, Azil Paqueta in a headlock, 
And it went to VAR, and somehow the VAR person thought that a headlock was okay to bring him down. So no penalty was rewarded, uh, even with the VAR review. And um, the other good bit of news for Chelsea is that uh, Mendy, the French goaltender that Chelsea picked up uh, from Rennes in uh, the French Ligue 1, Played a very, very strong game. Uh, earlier on in the first half, he probably gave almost gave Lampard a stroke with making uh, a couple of passes across his goal line area. Uh, not safe passes, but he wasn't punished for them. But he makes, in injury time, makes a fantastic save on Rashford. It's quite an eventful game. I mean, even Manchester United, I hear, uh, got did got denied a penalty as well. Yeah. Uh, neither team was really on point as far as attacking. It was really, really a cagey match. It kind of reminded me of uh, Syria A matches from the 90s where teams played not to lose rather than playing to win. And uh, it, was, it was a very, very cagey match. I think... Chelsea would probably be a little bit happier with the one point. Uh, Man U certainly, uh, with their current placement, they were looking to get all three points. And uh, their their current form in the EPL season at Old Trafford has not been good at all. They they have been quite poor at Old Trafford. You know, in Premier League play, Man U is poor, period, you know. Two wins, you know, uh, but I'm looking at the record, you know, they're they're 15th right now, okay? You know, two wins, one draw, two losses. You know, here's another another thing. I've said before that Man U has quite the reputation of being a very unpredictable team. And I stand by that at this point because we'll get to the Champions League in a bit. Because so far in the Champions League, they seem to be a different team, like in a different mentality. It's like they're they're different. When it comes in that other competition, but they, without getting too far ahead of ourselves, yeah, Man U has been lights out in the first two games in the Champions League. Exactly, and a special thing about this game against Chelsea was that Edinson Cavani had finally actually, you know, he started on the bench, but he had he had come in the game, and I felt that he was going to be the difference maker for Manchester for Manchester United, but I guess. Uh, Maybe not. Maybe in his case, the time hasn't come for him to make his impact yet. But um, you know, zero zero draw. Um, not exactly the most exciting match to watch. There were a couple of couple of good moments. Um, Mendy clearly got to a ball that last save on Rashford. The I think the previous occupants who have been trying to play goal for Chelsea, I don't think they would have gotten nearly anywhere near that ball. He's got great spring in his uh, step. Uh, Mendy does. Um, he's got good wheels, and um, you know, and he and he played well again in the in the Champions League um, for for Chelsea as well today. But, but again, we'll get to that in a little bit. We have so uh, as we wrap up the Premier League uh, week six, uh, let's talk. Uh, let's talk Arsenal and Leicester City. Well, that's another one that we got wrong. <laughs> well, at least at least I know I did. No, I I thought Arsenal would win too, and um, frankly, Leicester City in the second half looked better, 
and uh, they they were definitely the more lively in the in the second half. And what what can you say? Um, Jamie Vardy scores a goal in the 80th minute, and it's just an absolute smash and grab for for Leicester City. So uh, it's a pretty cool thing. It's the first win for the Foxes since 1973 on the Gunners' home ground. So you know it's pretty pretty big event. Pretty big event. I mean, Arsenal started off you know pretty strong, and you know they've dropped to 11th place. They're at three wins and three losses, so I guess we spoke too soon because a couple of weeks ago I did say Arsenal is showing signs of being strong again, but but I guess I spoke way too soon. So uh, it's definitely been very up and down uh, for the teams that you normally expect, uh, the big six teams. Uh, I mean, even Liverpool sitting in second place um, – I'll tell you, without Virgil van Dyke in the back, they look really, really vulnerable in the back. And even Sheffield, um, they the Blades could have easily have walked out of Anfield with a point, if not all three points, if they had had a little bit of luck or if uh, Liverpool didn't have Becker and goal over the weekend. It's just quite shocking. And speaking of Jamie Vardy, he's tied for the third uh, top scorer in the Premier League with six goals. He's tied with Patrick Bamford of Leeds United and Mohamed Salah of Liverpool. And Sun Hong Min is, is at the top uh, with eight goals. And Dominic Calvert-Lewin of Everton is at seven. So I guess, you know, well, things are picking up a bit. Well, and speaking of Spurs, the Harry Kane and Son show, uh, they collaborated again. Kane provided the assist for Son's header for the Spurs to get their win over the weekend. Yeah, they have <laughs> in the 76th minute. So Spurs were kind of, you know, got through by the skin of their teeth and Tottenham is now in fifth place. So three, three wins, two draws and, a, and one loss. You know, I, you know, they had that big win against Manchester United a couple weeks ago, which really kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. But, but it seems that but, Tottenham is, is getting up there. Well, I mean, think about it. With six games in, there's only two points separating fifth from first right now. And only three points, I mean, if you want to take it a step beyond, three three points worth one win, uh, that's all that separates ninth place Wolves from the top. So uh, there, there's certainly a lot to play out. So it's it's certainly been a very, very interesting season, to say the least, so far for the EPL. It has so, and I like how you say so far because you know this total of thirty-eight matches and the season is still young. So, Steve, I'm sure you would you would you would tell me let's not get the hopes up just yet, right? Yeah, it's it's and an, an injury could just change everything. Um, I just I'm worried about Liverpool's growing injury problems. Um, already losing Van Dyke, and then. Um, Champions League, uh, Fabinho's got a jacked up hammy, so it's hard to say how much, how many matches he's going to miss. And I mean, they were deputizing him to to play in the back row. And to be honest with you, over the weekend against the Blades, uh, Fabinho really kind of struggled in in the back. Uh, not only giving up the penalty on that, you know, kind of questionable foul, but there were a couple of times where um, 
on breaks down the left wing, Sheffield United was able to get around them with relative ease. So uh, Liverpool's definitely got some problems in the back. So I think that uh, their their need definitely going into when when the market reopens up for transfers, they definitely need to get another really good central defender. That's number one on their on their wish list right now. And I think, but I think also too that for soccer teams, I think having a really great central defender, it's almost like in baseball, everybody wants to have great pitching. That's at such a premium. Well, I think, in, I think in soccer, having having a central defender who can really close things down and lead from the back, uh, it's invaluable. Well said, you know, defense is key. <laughs> they say defense no. wins championships, but. Soccer, that's not always the case. But um, but anyway, but it was an interesting weekend in the EPL. That's so that brings us to the Champions League. Yes, it does. So let's go ahead and start off with Bayern Munich. Well, wasn't really... I mean, they won, but wasn't really quite... They didn't really look the way we kind of were used to seeing them lately. A 2-1 win over Lokomotiv Moscow. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's still on the it's still on the road in Moscow. Uh, you're playing in the even though we're we're not even in the November yet. But when you're playing those Eastern European matches, when you're playing in Russia, you're playing in Ukraine. It's bloody cold, just even already. So uh, to to pick up the win, uh, it's it's still not a bad thing. No, not a, not at all. You know, Bayern, Bayern Munich still has that w- winning streak, you know, alive. So. <laughs> Nothing, nothing really, you know, worried about, you know, they're, they're on top, you know, 2-0, and you know, six goals for us, you know, conceded just one, you know. I, I guess they're just, you know, still, it was just a warm-up, but like you said, it was cold there, and, I mean, believe it or not, I mean, the cold weather really, I mean, the hot weather, the cold weather, I mean, the elevations, those things really affect the, you know, the well-beings of the players, like, it'll affect their playing ability. Mm-hmm. Like, like you explained, like, like in the '86 World Cup, how like it, w- it would be hard for those European teams to play in that part of the world. Yeah, I mean, it takes it it, it takes a little bit to to do those matches when you're going going into Eastern Europe and you're dealing with with the cold and the other things and the length of travel. But um, and then also in that same group with Bayern Munich, Atletico Madrid, three uh, two win over Red Bull Salzburg. Um, good effort from from the red and white goals from Sakara. Two goals from Sakara actually, and uh, Yoriente he picks up one for Atletico Madrid. So a uh, good win for them. So they're on they're on three points after after losing that first game to Bayern Munich. Especially you know Atletico, Atletico Madrid you know, fell behind uh, at one point. They were down two to one after a known goal, and then, then you know, just about five minutes later, uh, Felix, you know, scores it to tie it two, and then eighty fifth minute, he sealed the deal. Yeah. Yeah. So, but but this one's kind of shaping up to how we thought. Um, yeah. The group that the group that's fast becoming the most interesting and compelling group to watch, though, in this Champions League is Group B: Shakhtar Donetsk, Borussia Mönchengladbach, Real Madrid, Inter Milan. Oh. Uh, what I mean, I don't even know what the hell is going on with Real Madrid. I mean, it's affected me to, in, in a way because everybody knows how I feel about Zidane. You know, 
my childhood hero, still my hero today. I mean, I don't know what the hell's going on. I mean, you know, my friend was talking to me. He's kind of comparing Real Madrid, you know, to my Dallas Cowboys. I'm like, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, no, you're not. We, we, there's no comparing a soccer team to a football team. I mean, mentality, sure, but but Real, but the difference is Real Madrid lately has had success. My Cowboys, no, not in 25 years. But Real Madrid, I mean, they were down two nothing, and it, and you know, a familiar name, you know, put put them down uh, two nothing uh, for uh, Monk and Gladbach, and that's a a guy named Marcus Turam, the son of the legendary Lilian Turam. You know. Yeah, two two goals, two goals for Motion Gladbach, and then Real Madrid, they're able to fight back at the very death. They get a goal from Benzema, and then Camasero ties it in the third minute of injury time. But at the end of the day, though, two games in, who would think that Real Madrid would only be sitting on one point after two games and that Shakhtar Donetsk, after playing both Real Madrid and Inter Milan, Shakhtar is sitting with four points. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, Real Madrid is at the freaking bottom of the group, for God's sake. <laughs> That's humiliating. Well, I mean, it's 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 definitely going to be much more of a dogfight than I anticipated. I mean, going in, I anticipated that it would be Real Madrid and Inter coming out of this group. And I thought that uh, Shakhtar and Borussia Mönchengladbach would be fighting over the third place spot to go to the Europa League. <laughs> Now, this group is just just two games in uh, with four games to go. It's a very very wide open group, so it'll be it'll be very interesting to see to see what happens. And then, and let's not forget too, in the return leg, Real Madrid is going to have to make the trip to Ukraine to play Shakhtar. You know, it's funny because Real Madrid came to this game. Coming off a huge win against Barcelona, when the odds were not in their favor, like I was actually surprised that Real Madrid took a a visit an away victory against against Barcelona, a three to one victory. Might I add? I mean, I didn't expect that. So I figured, okay, you know, they're coming off a huge win in, in the traditional El Clasico. You know, they should be good, but apparently. They weren't. Re- I, I mean, is it fair to say, Steve? They weren't ready for this game. No, I don't think it's so much that they weren't ready for it. I mean, they might have underestimated Motion Gladbach a little bit, but I think the other part too is, and this is where it's so tough, where you've got your domestic league and then you're having to play these midweek European matches. But uh, Real Madrid, I think, maybe physically, psychologically, maybe they left everything out at the Camp Nou and. Uh, they just didn't have much in the tank, but they had enough class at the end of the game to at least scratch a draw out of it. But going into this, I think most people, myself included, I, I thought Real Madrid would easily get the win in Germany. Apparently not. But, but there's still time. I mean, I'm sure if they win all the rest of their games, and there's still a chance. But you know what? I ain't going to get my hopes up. Okay, it's, okay, the whole thing with Real Madrid, ever since they want their third Champions League, I'm going to compare it like this. Okay, when Ronaldo left, it's like the, the, it's the Titanic hitting the iceberg. And then as Real Madrid starts faltering, like putting mediocre results and losing unexpected games, that's just the water rushing in the ship. The ship's starting to go down. 
And then, you know, those back-to-back round of 16 eliminations, that's the that's the ship breaking in half. And at this point, they're basically at the bottom. It's the ship is sunk. It's at the bottom. It's about at the bottom of the Atlantic. Real Madrid is no more. Like they are not the team they were a few years ago. I mean, I don't know what happened to them. I don't. I mean, apparently, the because the departure of Ronaldo was controversial because he down did not want it to happen. Apparently, uh, Florentino Perez, from what I understand, did it without consulting him. So. Well, and now in this group, the next challenge for Real Madrid now is the next two group games are going to be home and away to Inter Milan. Real Madrid will be hosting Inter Milan in the third match day, and then they'll be in Milan for the fourth game. So those two games between Real Madrid and Inter Milan, that's gonna, those are really going to be key for, for deciding things, and Real Madrid has got to get some results out of that. And, you know, going... I think at the very, very least, they've got to at least get four points out of those two games. I think if they get any less than four points out of those two games, they're going to be, you know, they could possibly be really struggling to to be one of the top two finishers out of Group B. If they don't get four points, they're, they're royally screwed. And at that point, there is no way in hell they're making it out of the group stage. No way in hell. <laughs> So we'll see. So then moving on to Group C, which Man City right now, I know you can't say too much with two games in, but I think what we could say is this. I think clearly Man City is the class of this group. Marseille does not really look like they're they're going to get out of group. I don't think that they're even going to challenge a whole lot, even, even for finishing third, which would be a Europa League spot, which is going to mean that Second place is going to be fought out between Porto and the Greeks from Olympiacos. But Porto gets the win at home in Portugal against the Greeks. Man City goes down to Marseille. First time Man City has ever played a Champions League match in France, by the way. Um, And uh, they totally dominate Marseille. Uh, They dominate every category that you can imagine. Ball possession, shots on goal. Everything. They just absolutely, totally toyed with Marseille. I mean, I can honestly say they really enjoyed their trip to Marseille. And Man City gets goals from Therese, uh, Gundogan, and Sterling. Uh, Very workmanlike effort, professional. Don't give up a goal, and they just pretty much choke the life out of Marseille. Marseille after two games, 0-2. I mean, they've yet to even score a goal in the Champions League this year. No, no. So it's not not looking terribly good for them. Unfortunately not. I think the first two is pretty much, well, you know, Olympiacos still has a chance, but let's, you know, let's just tell it like it is. I mean, Manchester City, there's no way, there's no way they can't top this group. There's really no way. No, I don't, I don't see, I don't see either Porto or Olympiacos really competing with them. The It's going to be the fight for second between Porto and Olympiacos. Exactly. So let's go ahead and go to, let's go to your club, Liverpool and, I'm just going to call them mid, Mitchell-Island. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 I think, isn't it the, the, the Danish group, right? The Danish team. It's a, it's, a, it's a very, very interesting story behind that club because it was actually two rival teams in Denmark that 
uh, they decided that financially it made more sense for them to merge. And uh, it's a fairly newer club. I think they've only been around for about 20 years. Yeah, 1999. It actually, it actually says on their logo. They've done, they've done some very innovative things as far as for home matches where they'll put big screens on the outside of the stadium and then sort of like a drive-in movie uh, fans – will be able to, they're able to come park their cars in the parking lot and then they can safely, socially distance, watch these matches uh, be played. But truth be told, uh, FC Michuland, they gave Liverpool a very, very good game. The the 2-0 scoreline is not really truly indicative of how good of a match the Danes gave Liverpool. Uh, Liverpool's bad news out of the match is uh, getting Fabinho hurt, hurts his hammy, so he's going to be out for a while. Uh, Jota gets another goal for Liverpool, but uh, the Danes had their chances. I mean, again, I, I hate to keep harping about it, but Liverpool just keeps looking really frail as far as uh, giving away you know good-looking scoring opportunities and Maybe they can get away with it with the Danes, but if you get to the round of 16 and you're playing, you know, the Bayern Munichs, Real Madrids, Barcelona, um, Man City, the teams that have really quality attackers, these are guys that are going to bury those opportunities. But Jota gets a goal and Salah gets a late penalty in um, stoppage time to sort of make the scoreline look a little better than what it really was. Uh, Liverpool... They really kind of struggled a bit in this game. It seems to me, Steve, that Liverpool is slowly and slowly and slowly crumbling under pressure. Like, they know they're under pressure. Right now, they're fighting it, but pressure is fighting back big time. And based on these results, like like you said, like this Danish club, since I can't pronounce it, I'll just call it the Danish club. They were fighting, like, you know, Liverpool did not score until the 55th minute, so we have to give credit to Mitch, to Mitch Island. Is, is that how you say it? Mitch Island? Well, I, I, don't, I don't speak Danish, but uh, my, my gut feeling would be Mitchuland. But... Mitchuland, okay. But Mitchuland, you know, you have to give him credit. I mean, it, you know, it took 55 minutes for Liverpool to get on the board, and then it, it took a penalty and stop at time to put the game away. So the pressure is, is on, the, on Liverpool's back. And that pressure is getting fatter, and the, the weight's increasing. So, so Liverpool may be on its way to, you know, crumbling. I mean, I don't want to immediately assume it, but we just know that for, in both Champions League and in Premier, Premier League play, it's going to be a very long season for Liverpool. Well, it looks shaky, to be sure. Um, and then their next matches, uh, and this gets us into the other match, uh, Atalanta spots Ajax two goals at home in Bergamo, and then Atlanta come, Atlanta comes back to get uh, goals from Zapata at the 50th, fourth, and 60th minute. So they get a two-two draw against the Dutch. But now Atalanta's next two games are home and away to Liverpool, and Atalanta we know they can score goals. They're an attacking team, so. Uh, Liverpool's going to have their hands full with the Italians. I mean, that's the pressure I'm talking about. I mean, now that Atlanta is, is net, is their next opponent. There's you no, know, there's no saying shit just got real. So now shit's starting to get real in Liverpool's case. Like the fun and games are over. Like you know, 
Atlanta's not going to show mercy. Like, these strong teams with strong attacks, Steve, if they go against a team with an injured defense, with a weakened defense, they will thrive on it. They're hungry for that. They want to take advantage. They want to destroy it. Like, they want to oh. score. They want to put the ball in the back of the net as much as, as many times as possible. Like, a weak defense is like a shark smelling blood in the water. Well, to be sure, it'll be a compelling next two matches. Um, there'll definitely be definitely be some goals scored, to be sure. I mean, you know, if, if Liverpool and Atlanta tie, I guess you can say Liverpool kind of stove off the crumbling yet, but it ain't over yet. So, but, but it's, you know, Liverpool's, you know, many obstacles. I mean, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be hard to climb that mountain. Right now, you know, honestly, I mean, you know, there's just there's just a lot of things going on. You know, the injuries, you know, all these struggles. You know, it's just we'll have to see what what, what happens down the road. I mean, anything can happen. Maybe they'll snap yeah. out of it. You know, anything will happen. We don't know. Which now brings us to Group E. Uh, Chelsea traveled to Russia. They were able to get four goals against Krasnodar. And it was, a, uh, it was a special day today for Chelsea. It's a special day for us too, in a sense. Well, Christian Pulisic was able to come off the bench, and not only did he come off the bench, but he scored Chelsea's fourth goal towards the end of the game. So it was good to see um, the American, um, the hope for American soccer fans. It was good to him not only to get a chance to play, but for him to score a goal in the 90th minute. Uh, the Russians gave Chelsea uh, a heck of a match. In some ways, the 0-4 scoreline is a little bit deceptive. The Russians gave Chelsea uh, a pretty good match today, actually. They were a little, little unlucky on a couple of occasions hitting the bar, but uh, but Chelsea was able to go to Russia, get a clean sheet. They were. In, at the beginning, uh, I think it was Jorginho. Jorginho was de- you know, got denied on, on a penalty attempt. Yeah. Uh, hit the post. Uh, and then ricocheted off, hit the goaltender, and uh, hit the goaltender in the back. He really didn't even save it. It was just sort of a lucky ricochet. But um, but Chelsea was a, was able to overcome the missed penalty, and they were able to to get four goals. Yeah, they were. And you know, honestly, when I saw that, you know, Christian Pulisic scored, I was like, you know, this is awesome. <laughs> but really, what I really want is, you know, please stay healthy. Like, you know, I don't want anything. I want him to keep playing. I want him to have him win because, like you said, he's a, he's the, he's the hope for the U.S. men's national team. Yeah, no question I mean, about there's, it. There, there's several players. There's several American players playing in the Champions League. So maybe, 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 just maybe, the the future for, for the U.S. men's national team is bright. Maybe there's success ahead, but we just have to wait and see. Hmm. And, and Seville, to no surprise to anybody, the defending Europa Cup champions, they get a late. Uh, goal they beat ran the French team uh, one zip. It's really well. My only uh, sadness in this in this case is that Eduardo Camavinga is. I mean, well, it's his first Champions League, so you know what? You know, I, I never. Ex- I don't want him. You know, he, if him not being dominant, him not, like not playing those results, we, we would love to see. It's all right. You know, he's a young. You know, he's young. He's seventeen years old. It's his first Champions League. He's learning, and you know, I'm, I'm sure he's going to be in many, many more tournaments. You know, he's not going to be in Rennes his entire career. I mean, there's Real Madrid's already lo- is already looking. I'm, I'm pretty sure Barcelona. I'm sure sub- several English teams. You know, obviously Paris Saint Germain has their eyes on him because you know they can literally go by whoever they want. 
But you know, in this kid's case, you know, he's learning. You know, you know, to play in a in a big tournament like this. But so I, I think he'll be fine. But as far as Ren goes, I I don't. I guess their hopes of making it at the group stage is pretty much on the verge of being you know dead in the water. Mm-hmm. It's a shame, really. I mean, it's their first time in the in the Champions League. They're they're actually doing very well in in League One. So, but you know, it is what it is. It's it's just going to be a steep learning curve for the Bretons, to be sure. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go. Uh, let's go ahead and get to all right. Paris Saint Germain and Istanbul Basak Sehir. Well, uh, another well. Istanbul really, uh, really put up the fight until uh, the, the last uh, twenty twenty five minutes. Uh, Moise Keane scoring twice, and uh, with Kylian Mbappe providing the assists. Uh, anytime playing in Turkey, it's a tough place. Uh, luckily, there there were some, as I recall, I think there were some fans in the stands, uh, but socially distanced. Um, but. Always a tough place to go, uh, especially on the political front right now, where there's a lot of controversy with a lot of Muslim countries wanting to boycott French uh, French goods right now. Oh yeah, but, yeah. But uh, but PSG, they're able to get the win in Turkey, so uh, mission accomplished for them. And um, Man U in their game, they put an absolute beat down on Red Bull Leipzig. Okay, I swear to you, Steve, I never thought this would happen. I didn't even think Manu was going to win this game. I thought it was going to end up a, as a 1-1 draw. But, you know, the, the first thing, okay, when I looked at the lineup, because every time at Goal.com, you know, informs me that the lineups are out, I stop what I'm doing. If I'm driving, I literally pull over to the parking lot because it, it's really important to me to see the lineups. It's just a habit of mine. But when I saw that Donny Vanderbeek was starting, I was like, you know what? This actually may be, this may be something special. Maybe now there's a chance we win if this guy, if this kid's starting. So, so I was pretty happy about it. And I look at you know, and you know, and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer used a a formation that I don't think he has used very often. It was a four by one, you know, four defenders. Like then there's Matic is like you know on his own, and then there's the two midfielders. So I think it was. Four defenders, one mid midfielder, then two midfielders in front with a, and then Van de Beek playing as a forward with Greenwood and Martial both as a striker. So it was four by one by two by one by two. That's a pretty interesting formation. Well, and it worked against the Germans. Rashford with a hat trick, Martial with a late penalty, uh, Pogba, who's been frankly kind of missing in action for Man U for quite a bit of this young season. Pogba gets an assist. Fernandez gets an assist. Uh, Martial gets in as well. So, uh, His first yeah, for the yeah, club this season. He had a nice dish on uh, on Rashford's third third goal. But, uh, but man, you, for all the travails that they're having in the EPL, they've looked very, very good so far in their first two games in the Champions League. They haven't. And speaking of Marcus Rashford, here, here's some a, a couple of things I really have to mention. Number one, the fifth player in Champions League history to score a hat-trick as a substitute and only the second Manchester Manchester United player to score a hat-trick as a substitute since February 1999 against Nottingham Forest. Steve, do you want to take a wild guess who that first player was? You got me. Go ahead. It was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. 
Go Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, you know, was the first Manchester United player to score a hat trick as a substitute in February 1999. It wasn't a Premier. It was in a Premier League game. It wasn't a Champions League game. And obviously, that you know, that very same year, Solskjaer would have that magical moment in the Champions League final against Bayern Munich, really getting the best out of uh, Oliver Kahn. But you know, the, the Marcus Rashford. There's been a lot of talk about him lately. Not. About soccer, about you know what he's doing, you know, uh, you know, providing I think meals with, with school meals, uh, making them for free, you know, for, for kids and there's that- well, he's been, he's been lobbying the British government to provide free meals at the schools for kids who are forced to stay at home. Um, in the UK, not unlike in the United States as well, there's a lot of kids who's they really depend on those meals at schools because they may be coming from troubled circumstances where their chance of getting two or even in some cases three squares a day is going to be at, at school. So I think that's extremely admirable for Marcus Rashford to try to, to try to do something to help disadvantaged kids out during you know, this really awful time. And I mean, even um, uh, Jurgen Klopp has applauded Rashford for his efforts. So anytime you've got somebody from Liverpool giving somebody from Manchester United mad props doesn't happen every day. So, uh, you know, hats off to Marcus Rashford for, for trying to help kiddos out that, you know, they, without the, without the meals, they would really, really be struggling. It's, it's pretty darn tough to study if you're hungry. It is. I mean, and, you know, when I was in college, you know, in college, you know, in my case, with all the stress going on in school, I mean, you know, food was the only way to drown that kind of stress, but, you know, and honestly, like, as far as Jurgen Klopp applauding uh, Marcus Rashford, I mean, this has nothing to do with soccer. Like, you know, put the rivalry aside. I mean, this is about a, a young man, a, a 22-year-old kid, who's pledging to help out younger kids, you know, because during these crazy times. And I don't want to get too political, but, you know, he sent a letter to the British Prime Minister urging for help, and apparently... I mean, these are all just reports, but apparently Rashford like never got a response. But I know that one time he begged the British government for help, and they said no or something like that. I, I don't know the Boris whole Johnson, thing. Boris Johnson essentially blew him off, long and short of it. Uh, I mean, and, and you know, Marcus Rashford says, "All right, well, screw it, I'm going to help him because I can." So, Marcus Rashford, I mean, you know, whether you cheer for Chelsea, whether you for Arsenal, you know, it's not about football. You, you got to applaud the guy because he's making a difference. A 22-year-old kid is making a difference, you know, like that. You know, humble, not selfish. You know, for some of those guys, it's more than just football. It's about making a difference. So, very, you know, mad, mad props to Marcus Rashford. I mean, he was probably, so, one, he was probably one of those kids, you know, uh, that, like, like you just described. He was, he was probably one of those kids, you know, who struggled and, you know, probably didn't have the best life as a kid. Well, an awful lot of the people that are playing top-flight soccer, a very, very high percentage of them, not too unlike a lot of players who play in the NFL and NBA uh, here, uh, they can they come from some very, very tough circumstances, or a lot of the Latino players that play in MLB, uh, they can come from some pretty tough circumstances too. So it's nice that there's somebody that still remembers uh, where they came from and trying to give kids a leg up during this awful time. So very, very commendable thing to do. Um, Alex, we've overshot uh, Group F. Want to talk a little bit about that? Juventus and Barcelona. 
Oh, I'm sorry. That's group G. I'm sorry. Yeah, let's go to group F, and then we'll go to group G. All right. Well, Club Rouge and Lazio. <laughs> I don't think I. There's no way that I thought after two games that Bruges would be sitting at four points. Uh, nice win, get match day one in uh, St. Petersburg, Russia, and then at home, Lazio gets the away draw. But still, uh, two games into it, and the Belgians, who I had actually picked to finish last in this group, uh, they're they're more than holding their own. Uh, Borussia Dortmund, they beat St. Petersburg today. Uh, another American, uh, Gio Reyna, the son of uh, former USA captain Claudio Reyna, uh, he started for Borussia Dortmund, uh, played about 80 minutes. So it's, it's great to see uh, some American kids that not only are playing in Europe, but they're getting a chance to play in the Champions League and really play uh, the game at a high level. So uh, I only see this paying off dividends in the long run for the U.S. men's national team as, you know, we try to avoid the embarrassment of not qualifying for Russia and to qualify for the next World Cup in Qatar in 2022. I mean, qualification starts soon. I'm actually worried about France, although everybody says, don't worry, France will qualify. I'm just like, nah. I'm always worrying about France because you know how France is just like Man U, unpredictable, but... Yeah, you know, Lazio. I don't remember the last time they were in a Champions League. I think this is, if I'm correct, this is their first one in, since probably 2008. Been a while. Yeah. Been, been a while for the Romans, but um, but yeah. So this this is actually shaping up to be a, a fairly competitive group as well. I think that uh, right now, uh, Zenit St. Petersburg, they've got zero points from two matches. Uh, so right now it's looking like uh, Borussia Dortmund, Bruges, and Lazio are going to be fighting it out for those top two spots. And right now, uh, none of those three teams is really, to me, clearly dominant over the other. So there's a lot to be played out with these next four four match days. There is. It's really kind of salty to see the Borussia Dortmund, you know, in third place. And. Um, We'll, we'll just have to see how these ne next matches play off. But uh, let's go to Group G, which is obviously the biggest talking point on this one was Juventus hosting Barcelona. Uh, CR7 versus Messi, uh, defending Italian champs, Barcelona. Barcelona's Barcelona, in spite of the travails they had with that shitstorm towards the end of the last season, it's, it's still a team that has some very, very good players on it. And uh, I must confess, I was really surprised that uh, Barcelona was able to go into uh, Turin and get the 2-0 win against Juventus. Well, the biggest news from that, Steve, was that ye uh, yesterday it was announced that Ronaldo, an another test, another COVID test resulted in that came in positive. So, I mean, the big news was, you know, he was out for the game. No, Ronaldo versus Messi. Right now, it remains to be seen. Like you know, the the, uh, the other encounters is in December, and I wrote an article on this, which was released this morning. I said that that game could it could be the factor. It, it could be a deciding factor, like who wins the, the the group. So if if Ronaldo's healthy, then and then then we really get to see Ronaldo and Messi in a tough situation. I mean, that makes it more exciting. I mean, right now it's an open, it's 
you know, it's like the first game between the two. It's not as exciting. But if it's in a scenario to where the winner tops the group or, or the winner finishes second and it's Ronaldo versus Messi, there the excitement increases 10 levels. So, so this, <coughs> excuse me. This, this, is, this is a group where there's such a huge gulf between Juventus and Barcelona and uh, Fersan Averos, the Hungarian club, and Dinamo Kiev, the Ukrainians. There's just such a gap level between Juventus and Barcelona and the other two. The only question is going to be who's going to top the group, but I, I don't think there's any question that Juventus and Barcelona are going to come out of this group. You know, exactly. And, you know, what's, you know, for special, you know, Us- Usman Dembele scored in the 14th minute. And, you know, this season's actually starting, I mean, he's actually getting more playing time. He's healthy. So, Usman Dembele could have a very, could actually finally have a good year. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think, especially if you're a fan of the French national team, I think this is, this is very, very good news. So, uh, and for Barcelona, again, you know, you take whatever positives you can. Uh, they were embarrassed at home over the weekend in the Clasico by Real Madrid. But going into Turin and beating Juventus, it's not a bad way to bounce back for the Catalans. It's not at all. And Barcelona's 2-0. And, and, you know, they're in control, so the, the, things should be okay going, going forward. I mean, they'll have to put, keep going in the La Liga and not let Real Madrid get in their way. But, but Barcelona should be okay. You know, I, I think so. I think I think for right now, at least in Group G in this first part of the Champions League, I think I think Barca is in pretty good shape. Yeah, exactly. Well, now we're done with Champions League Premier League. Now, the only request we have this week is is uh, one of my friends wants to know basically how I feel about how women's soccer and men's soccer are like you know how the pay the the pays are, are everything how it's how it's so different and everything. Well, the problem is, I don't think that men soccer is better. I mean, I think they're both equally as important. The problem is, is that those 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 female clubs like they don't have those TV contracts. Like they don't get the support that the men the men do. That that's really the problem. And but as far as equal pay goes for international play, yeah, that's that that should that should be no question. Like. The men and the women should get the equal amount of pay, no matter what the success, because they're both representing their country. So that there's no question. But the problem is with the clubs. I mean, it's it's a it's a totally different story. It's it's kind of apples and oranges, but it becomes sort of this chicken and egg thing because if you take a look at the average sports page, what percentage of the sports page is dedicated to men's sport? what percentage is dedicated to women's sport and the disparity i don't even think 90 i don't even think 90 10 is is really even fair it is such a overwhelming uh dominance in favor of coverage of men's sports and it becomes sort of this chicken and egg thing so i think that if you if you can provide the coverage for the women's sport i think that kind of creates the buzz um, I mean, clearly, you know, compared to what it used to be, there's so much more women's sport that's that's being broadcast now, and uh, you know, people are discovering that uh, for for some things that, that, 
that they are they they enjoy watching the women. I mean, the women's uh, World Cup ratings in the U.S. were very very good, but the the challenge for women's soccer is to translate that towards uh, getting television coverage or any type of commercial money for the, for the club teams in the U.S. And there's quite frankly not that much of that here. And right now, it seems like now in terms of club soccer at the women's level, a lot more of the money is in Europe. Um, so you're seeing a lot more American women's players that are taking contracts with some of the English clubs and there's a couple of American women that are playing with Lyon, uh, who are the defending women's uh, champions in Europe club soccer right now. So um, you could get a really, really healthy discussion about it, but I, there clearly is a lack of coverage in mainstream newspapers of women's sport. I think you know I would I would defy anybody to. Grab your grab your newspaper, whether it's the LA Times or Dallas Morning News, and you know, take an objective look at what's getting covered in the sports section, and then sort of decide decide for yourself. Yeah, because you know, there's been an argument like you know Harry Kane, who's uh, England's uh, top uh, best player as far as the men's go, and then Ellen White, she's the best English female player, and there was a story to how it's compared, like what she makes in a year, like. It's like Harry Kane weight makes like way more than that in a week, and and I explained like it's not okay. Some people will say it's just because the dudes are bad. Okay, well, I, I'm not gonna go with that kind of reason. I mean, that's honestly just a stupid reason. The it's, and Steve just explained it. It's it's the TV coverage. It's the fan support. You know, you, I mean, it's I mean, I mean at the same time, I mean, it's not Harry Kane's fault. I mean, I'm sure Harry Kane wishes the the girls got the same support that he did. The girls could get the same opportunities because. He would say the girls are doing the same thing I'm doing. They just want to play soccer and they represent their team. I mean, they're living their dreams. But the problem is, is that you know, without those, without the supports, without 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 the natural resources, it's very difficult for the women to get paid the same. But that's why I made it clear. Like when it comes to international soccer, there's no question equal pay shouldn't even be a problem. The girls should make the same amount as the men. You know, because it's the same thing. They're they're representing their country. They're competing for they're competing for a title. Now, whilst women's soccer, like, the competition is def- is different. I mean, as far as Women's World Cup goes, competition has really gotten better. Like, these teams like Sweden, England, uh, Italy, uh, Japan. I mean, well, Japan's obviously not as good as they were, like, you know, back in 2015 and 2011. But, but the U.S. women's team is getting more and more competition, especially from those European teams. Like, you know, Australia's getting better. You know, so women's soccer, international soccer, is actually changing. I mean, I mean right now the best team in Europe... Uh, it's probably either the Netherlands or, or England. Probably, I would say probably the Netherlands since they're de- they're defending European women's champions. But but the, I mean because you know lately in the U.S. lately the story is like they did this comparison between Sue Bird and, and LeBron James. They both played. Se- they both have seventeen seasons. You know in their league, they've both won four titles. But the difference is, LeBron James has made thirty seven and a half million dollars in twenty twenty alone. While Sue Bird only made two hundred and fifteen thousand. And and again, you get into this whole chicken and egg thing of because a lot of a lot of a lot of the money that could drive the men's salaries, a lot of that comes from the television deals. That's a that's yeah. a awful, that's an awfully huge part of it. But um, but but clearly, 
there's going to be more discussion on pay and reimbursement and trying to at least bridge uh, the equality thing. It took tennis a long time for Grand Slam events to offer even comparable prize money for women compared to male competitors in tennis. It's taken a long time, but, uh, but tennis has made great strides. But, um, but as far as with the, the dynamic, as far as the television money, that's, that, that's such a huge part of it. But again, you know, how do you create the buzz so that you, people, people in the networks, they'll provide programming if they think that there's a market for it. And that's, that's the bottom line. Um, I mean, 25 years ago, how many people watched UFC, Ultimate Fighting? Nobody. Not that many. It was hardly anybody. And the idea of having women fighters, Dana White was the one who, you know, he was very adamant against women fighting. He thought nobody would pay to watch uh, women fighting. And I'll tell you what, lover or hater, Ronda Rousey, she kicked the door down. Uh, she did, did big time. You know, she she showed that there was a market that people people would pay really, really good money for her to fight Misha Tate and some of her other rivals in the UFC. So, um, you know, sometimes too, it, it can also just take a really transcendent player or athlete that that can create buzz as well too. But, uh, but it's certainly not something that, you know, you or I are going to solve immediately uh, overnight tonight, that's for sure. No. And as far as R- Ronda Rousey goes, I mean, I kind of consider her my female hero because, you know, she's tough, she's a fighter, you know, she broke down those doors. I mean, she, she made a statement because, see, I used to get teased because I would when I was in college, I would write, you know, about, you know, the women's uh, national soccer team, uh, the U.S., and then some, some of the guys I knew would go like, oh, wow, now you're covering, you know, girls' sports. I'm like, okay, you know what, guys? If you, you can laugh at me about this, but you know what? Girls' sports are just as important as the men's, all right? It's sports overall. The girls work just as hard, and the, the sad part is they don't get rewarded just like the men's do. They don't make they don't make those dozens of millions of dollars. They don't get those high endorsements. So, I mean, I told them, like, basically the, the, the tough part is is that the girls work just as hard, but don't get as rewarded. Same thing in professional wrestling, but but we can't go with, over, over it all. Because the bottom line is, and I'm glad that my friend asked me to talk about this because... The point I always say is the girls work just as hard as the men. And they deserve respect. No, no question. You know, the particularly at the national team women level, the women they deserve um, they deserve more parity with pay to be sure. Yes, and honestly I, I stand a little corrected. I should say women, not girls. Uh, thank you, Steve. No no problem. Yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up for this week, folks. I would like to remind everybody that Into the Net FC is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Steve, thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to having you again next week. Talk to you next week. Have a good rest of your week, everybody. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.